Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into this week's episode of Tuesdays Are for Talking. Hey, last Friday night at Mosaic Church, we had a great event called the Gospel and Politics. In this week's episode, I'm going to have a conversation with two other folks who help lead that ministry, and we're going to talk about the ministry and recap our event just a bit. I think you're going to find some great nuggets in here, some helpful tips on how to talk about politics, how to think about politics, and of course, how to still be a Christian in the midst of all of it. Okay, let's get into the conversation with Joshua Adams and Kimberly Chung right now. Here we go. Well, as mentioned on the intro, we are here today with a couple of very special guests from our TGA team, and we're really looking forward to it. But first, let me just welcome into the podcast, first of all, Kimberly Chung. How are you today, Kimberly? Hey, I'm doing great, Nathan. Good to be here. We're glad that you're here. And Joshua Adams, how about you, man? How are things? Good. How are you? I am quite well, and I'm excited to be talking with y'all today. So, of course, this podcast is on the heels of a TGA event that we just had on Friday night. And for those listening uh, who don't know, it's the Gospel and, and this time we turned our lens onto politics. And so the Gospel and politics is what we covered on Friday night. We would love, though, just to sort of talk a little bit more today with a couple of our team leaders about the ministry, sort of why we do this, what what the importance of it is, and then to give you a little recap and insight to the event that we had on Friday night. So if you participated, obviously you got some level of insight, but maybe you weren't in the same discussion group as Kimberly or Joshua, and so they're going to take us into those smaller groups. Of course, if you were in their group and you're listening, we will protect your names, but we, we would love to hear how those went. But First of all, what I'd like to do is just go back to Kimberly and kind of start with you and ask, what, what was your experience with TGA as a ministry, as a participant, before you were a leader on the team? Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Hi, everyone. My name is Kimberly Chung, and I've been with Mosaic now for about six years, I want to say. And I feel like I joined TGA or participated in TGA events as soon as I heard about them when I was part of Mosaic. So I initially started just by attending when the church would host uh, the events, I think every quarter. And then I want to say maybe a couple of years ago, I was invited to start being a table facilitator. And then I ended up joining the leadership team at the beginning of this year. So it's been a slow progression of participating in the events uh, to being more involved and then now officially stepping into a leadership role, which has been kind of cool. Well, we're certainly glad to have had you all along the journey and certainly glad for your participation now. Joshua, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your experience was interacting with TGA as a participant and then later as a part of the leadership team. Sure. Uh, so uh, I actually, uh, um, from the Houston area originally, moved to Austin to go to University of Texas. Um, and my wife, Carla, is actually a deacon at Mosaic. And uh, we've been attending Mosaic for about six years as well. And I first attended TGA uh, in 2016 uh, during the previous round of the gospel and politics during that election season. And from the get-go, I, I just really loved the the way that TGA provided sort of a structured way for us to have in-person conversations about really difficult things. I think uh, a lot of people, and this was evident on our last event and some of the things people mentioned, just the, the process of going about finding people to talk about, to talk with in person about politics can be daunting and providing that sort of structured venue where we can all come together agreeing that Jesus is Lord, but talk about really difficult things together uh, was really 
really attractive to me and I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, I joined the leadership team when I had the opportunity at the beginning of 2019 and have been a part of it since then. We're obviously glad to have you as a part of that team as well. It's been an interesting ministry. I guess it formed, uh, if memory serves me correctly, back in 2014. Um, And so we are a good, gosh, six years in. So about the time y'all started coming is when this got started. And it's, uh, it's gone through a number of iterations since the inception We've covered a variety of topics, but you know things like race and culture and politics definitely seem to be at the heart of it. For those of you who don't know much of anything about the gospel and uh, maybe you haven't been a part of Mosaic for, for very long, maybe you're not a part of Mosaic at all and you've just discovered this podcast because a friend shared an episode with you, the ministry is really designed to help our multi-ethnic and multi-generational congregation navigate some difficult topics, some things that sometimes can divide us. So that's why we talk about things like race and ethnicity and culture and politics, because those are things that culture broadly speaking, tends to draw lines in the sand with. with we're going to sort of be on this side of this line and on that side of that line. And as the gospel calls us to come together and to cross those barriers, as Paul so eloquently does throughout the book of Ephesians, he talks about Jesus being the, the, the thing, the cross being the thing that breaks down the barrier and the enmity and the strife between us where natural walls of separation had been erected, where even natural enemies had come into place. Play, the cross breaks down those walls. And so we as people who are trying to follow Jesus as best we can in a melting pot of culture and backgrounds, it's important that we don't shy away from those things, but we actually lean into them with sort of Christian benevolence towards one another, with the gospel at the center of what we do, and with open-mindedness and empathy and compassion for one another. And so that's really the heart of the gospel and, 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 and how we try to leverage that to really just make disciples of Jesus, which is our goal here at Mosaic Church. So going back to Friday night's event, as, as we mentioned, uh, the topic was the gospel and politics. And of course, guys, this is 2020 has been a crazy year. It continues to surprise. Like, I'm not sure if someone in Hollywood wrote, you know, a movie script about the wildest year, uh, if they would even quite fathom all of the things. I mean, you know, going back, we had the, 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 the oil crisis, of course, to start the year off. That was awesome. Crashed the oil market internationally. We have this huge, you know, uh, problem between Saudi Arabia and Russia, and then China, U.S. gets involved, and it's all crazy. And then, of course, the coronavirus hits and begins to spread all over. So we've sort of got doubling down of economic woes here, thanks to the uh, the international oil market. And then COVID-19 crushing the economy, not just here, but everywhere. Uh, I think there were some murder hornets along the way. I'm not sure what happened to those. Um, and then now we're into, at least in my lifetime, what feels like the most divisive political season that I can recall. I mean, I thought 2016 was really, 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 really hard. Uh, I would go back there in a second now um, in terms of just the way we were able to communicate with each other as opposed to how things are today. Um, but the tensions themselves aren't the problems. Those are just representative of things that are underneath the surface. And so Friday night, of course, we got together with uh, a quite a good number of people on a giant Zoom call, and we had conversations 
about politics. Um, Kimberly, I want to just go to you first, and I'd love to hear just sort of what your experience was uh, in that meeting and with the people that participated in your discussion groups. What kinds of things were illuminated? What kinds of things were put on the table as important? How did people tend to respond to what they were hearing from one another? Love to hear your experience and be able to share it with everyone on our podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to add, you forgot about the fires in Australia. That did happen this year. Fires in Australia. Yeah. Fires in California. I mean, who can even keep up? Golly. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to my group, you know, I had a really great group of people. Um, We had a good mix of guys and girls married um, and also diversity wise. So I am a Chinese Singaporean. And then we had a lady who was African-American, and then we had a few people that were Caucasian. So I felt like our mix was overall good. We tended to cover topics like, of course, what COVID has done in terms of health and safety, as well as affecting the economy. Uh, We talked about racism and inequality in general. And then we also talked about Uh, abortion, actually. And that was really interesting because we had a guy in my group who was pretty firmly pro-life. Backstory was because he and his wife had struggled with infertility for almost a decade and ended up adopting their two children. And then we had a lady who was pretty firmly pro-choice and not necessarily because she didn't want to fight for the lives of the unborn, but because she already felt like there were so many children that were in dire situations, suffering from food insecurities and poverty and lack of uh, education, and that it wasn't necessarily that she felt like a lot of people that she ran into were fully pro-life, more like they were just anti but weren't any that would provide resources for single moms or women who are faced with the predicament of trying to decide if they're going to have a child or not. So I felt like our conversation was not only very candid. I mean, uh, one of the guys in my group actually, who was Caucasian, actually was very honest and said that probably seven or eight years ago, he actually was one of the people that was pretty convinced that racism was not an issue in the United States. And over the years, had actually come to change his opinion about that, which I thought was very courageous, right? One, to state that he used to believe that. But then I also think it takes a lot of strength to be able to say, you know, I thought something um, about a particular issue and I have come to change my mind. Because a lot of people don't like to admit that they've changed their opinion about something. So I thought our discussion was really great. I loved what everyone brought to the table. And uh, we were talking right up until it was just a few seconds before we had to return to the main session. That's fantastic. And you're probably referencing. So in in the event, one of our poll questions revolved around what was the political issue that you were most passionate about? And we had given kind of 10 options, uh, which were based on some other research that talks about what the 
10 biggest issues are for Americans in general. Um, those are things like economy, healthcare, judicial appointments. Man, that one has immediately become even more important. Law and order in all kinds of inequities, abortion, climate change, immigration, foreign policy, and then like Second Amendment gun policy stuff. So uh, those were the 10. And it sounds like you guys got in there on five and six a good bit, inequalities and, and abortion. And then that does kind of drive some of the numbers. I mean, in our own poll internally on Friday night, certainly various forms of inequality was by far and away the most important issue for people. Um, Joshua, just kind of turning to you, I definitely would love to hear a little bit more about how things went with you in the event on Friday night with your group, what people tend to migrate towards and talk about. Yeah, so we covered probably about half of the the items on that list, the issues on that list uh, that people really cared about. We covered immigration, uh, race, healthcare, and the economy. Uh, we talked about guns and abortion and it was, it was really enjoyable how sort of candid people were about expressing their points of view on, on those various issues. And as Kim alluded to, one of our discussion questions was about, you know, when have you ever changed your mind on one of these issues? When has your viewpoint changed? And we, we had several people share stories about how their life experience led them down a path that caused them to uh, change the viewpoint that they had on a couple of very... Um, very important issues. So for example, one gentleman, uh, he grew up in a, in a large city that had a lot of gun crime and he for a long time was very um, anti-gun ownership or anti-gun rights. Uh, but over the course of his life and having children and having this sort of sense of responsibility to protect his children, he sort of, his, his views gradually changed to a place where he was much more open to the idea of gun ownership and, and therefore the right to own guns. We had another gentleman who uh, shared how he had had very uh, sort of anti-public health care views. He didn't think that that was something that the government needed to be taken care of until he uh, reached a point in his life where he was uh, both unemployed as well as independently employed and working for himself and um, his his wife being pregnant and the, them as a family needing insurance and and suddenly having sort of a different take on the, the importance and the value of there being public health care. And so uh, it was great to hear people just share their story and, and realize that they, that the people's views are not static and people's views uh, touch upon an experience that's behind that viewpoint. We had uh, uh, another thing that was just great to see was how we sort of have these assumptions about the way certain views go together, that certain views are sort of a package deal. But it was great to see people express views that didn't necessarily go together that it's not it's not automatic that people if they assume one thing or if they if they have one point of view about abortion that they're going to have a certain view about guns as well uh people actually had sort of a a a mix of views that you wouldn't necessarily expect given the way that this course around politics tends to run so it was, it was great to see that as well both of you have sort of talked about something that that I think gets highlighted anytime we actually talk about politics. So, of course, there's this whole idea that 
in certain environments, you shouldn't talk religion and politics, right? Those are very divisive things for people. And, and so then what happens though, is that we tend to, you know, put politics in this like ethereal space where it's just almost an inanimate object. Like it's just a thing that we talk about, like, you know, like a cup or on the desk, you know, like that, that it's that thing and you like your cup and I like my cup, but you know, it's this thing that's sort of distant and separate. And as I heard from both of you now, and have heard even from other people about in particular Friday night's event. What we discover is that politics are quite personal. And I I think in a sense, we know that that's why it's so divisive, because it's not just like conceptual ideas that people just make decisions to, to, to support or not support. But but our desire for for politics, our desire for governance tends to be driven from personal experience, which I think can be both good and bad, right? Like, if, if your life, your lived experience sort of reveals something that's important that you didn't know was important before, well, that could be a good thing. On the other hand, if if what we're only after is that which makes our individual lives better, easier, what have you, uh, then perhaps we do so with a with a blinder on to what might be best for society as a whole. And I think therein lies some of the tension is what's best for everybody, what's best for you. But it is interesting, you know, not often do people have their minds changed when confronted with uh, uh, information about what may or may not be best for the whole. But people are pretty quick to change their minds when it comes to what What's best for you and me, um, Kimberly? I'd love to just go to you and kind of ask you that question. When when you think about politics, and of course you're probably thinking about politics in different places, not just American politics, but uh, politics from you know from from Singapore and where you grew up. Uh, when you think about those kinds of things, wh- what has been your experience? Do you find that people? are more firmly grounded on their political perceptions based on their own personal experience? Or have you found the opposite, that people tend to sort of gather their thinking around what's best for the whole? You know, uh, that is a really good question. I have been very fascinated by the American political landscape as a whole. Uh, you know, I, I look at the political landscape from the lens of being international. I, you know, I have been in the U.S. for about 16 years now. I came over when I was 17 to start school at the University of Texas. And so I feel like I'm effectively bicontinental now. Um, you know, I'm very Singaporean, but I also feel like I have a good understanding of um America and just kind of the American lifestyle. One thing that has always struck me about the political landscape here in the U.S. is it feels very binary, right? You know, the the two ruling parties are Republican and Democrat, and it feels sometimes like you have to choose either or. And that is very interesting to me because the truth is I don't think any one party has it all right, you know, and it feels like sometimes it's us versus them, um, that kind of mentality. And, and it, it also tends to feel like it comes down to only a few political issues, right? So abortion being one of them, Gun control is a big thing. I think the other thing in light of the pandemic is also healthcare and um, the economy. And it seems to me like people tend to vote 
on that based on also a lot of it just personal experience. You know, coming from Singapore, uh, the other thing that is also very interesting to me is religion tends to get interwoven into politics here, right? I think we see it a little bit more in the Republican Party. And sometimes that gets really dicey, right? As a Christian, obviously we we would feel like Jesus should be our guiding source for everything. But I also feel like sometimes religion's almost weaponized in the arena of politics. So it's very interesting to me because in my country, religion is not part of that equation. You know, we're a multi-ethnic, multi-religious. Um, and we have, you know, in Singapore, we've tended to have just one major party, honestly, over the past 30, 40 years, there have been now in, we actually just went through a recent political election where there were new candidates from like newer parties. But what I found was that most of the conversation, and again, this is my perception because I am not in Singapore, but it seemed to revolve a lot around actual issues and party platforms and less against questioning the character of the particular candidates and things like that. Uh, in Singapore, we also don't do political ads, right? You don't see that on TV. You don't see that on the radio. Uh, the kind of fundraising and campaigning that you have in the U.S. just doesn't really happen as much. And, and maybe because we're a smaller country, right? And so here I find that in this country, it it's just a very interesting mix, right? It's a lot of marketing, advertising. There's a lot of money. Uh, it seems like it's also about networks and who is able to fund things to further their agenda. It does come across sometimes like people are more focused on what is good for them versus what is good for the whole. But at the same time, I also understand that this country is ridiculously large. Right. I mean, in, in my group at TGA this past weekend, uh, one of the things that was brought up that I thought was very interesting was um, a lady in my group who's African-American grew up in the Northeast. And she, act she actually said, you know, I had poli uh, political conversations all the time growing up and felt safe. We, you know, we talked about it. It's fine to have a different opinion. She said, now that I have moved to Texas, to the South, I actually no longer feel safe having these conversations because it seems like if I have a different opinion, then when I, if I disagree or say that I support a different party, it's almost like people take it personally that if I have an unfavorable view of their political uh, party or issue that I'm almost attacking. So I thought that was also very interesting too, because in this country, you actually also have cultures that are different depending on the region that you grew up. And so I just think that it's significantly more complicated. My hope would be at least for the Christian community that when we look at issues and we look at the political landscape, yes, take into consideration what you feel like would be best for yourself and your community, but ideally we would be looking to God for guidance, right? And surely there has to be a way where even if we disagree on certain issues that we can still come together and figure out what is good for the whole. 
That's great. I definitely want to come back to a couple of things that you touched on. Part of what we try to do with TGA is to actually help people have better conversations. And I definitely want to talk about that as well in just a minute. But first, uh, Joshua, I'd just love to hear from you, like both on your own experience and, and that of, of your experience with people that you're close to. Do, do you find, I guess, start with yourself. Do you, do you find your own ideas or do you perceive that your own ideas are driven more by what's uh, you know going to result in betterment for the whole or more by your own personal experience and maybe even personal conviction? So I think like a lot of people, I, from, from the situation that I'm in, I try to identify what my core convictions are as a follower of Jesus, um, first and foremost, and then try to identify how that translates into political positions um, and voting and political advocacy, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it is a challenge to sometimes map those onto our American political landscape. And one of the things that that I find difficult about that, that I think a lot of people struggle with is I have these convictions that that feel and, and seem very clear to me that you know that I wrestle with, pray, pray over, talk to God about, study in scripture, but then I look at what my my options are politically speaking. And it just becomes very, it feels very muddied. And then I, you know, I talk to uh, other followers of Jesus who, who land in, in sometimes diametrically opposite places uh, on various issues than me. And it, and it causes, uh, you know, some, some pause and, and wondering, am I, am I seeing things clearly? Am I understanding things correctly? And so I, I, I do, like, I think most people try to uh, to line what I think is true and what is right up with the way that my political engagement pans out. Um, but I think like a lot of people, it, it can be very challenging to map those onto the political landscape that we have today. And as you sort of encounter people in your everyday life, and uh, while I know that politics are not something that everybody talks about all the time, certainly I know that you have had a, a number of conversations around politics with people what what do you sense is more important to people? Is it like core convictions that are you know based on like religious morality, or is it like hey, what's going to result in a better life just for like me and my family, or is it more communal? Like I, I I'm voting this way because it's best for all these people. I mean, I'm just kind of curious. We all have different experiences with uh, talking about these things to other people. What do you feel like you've run into the most? Sure. So I think it's true that. A- a lot of people on specific issues where the, it clearly sort of impacts their life and bumps up against their their practical reality that people tend to be voting along what they understand to be their their best interest. But I think what drives a lot of people is actually less of a, a rational utility maximizing sort of calculation and much more of a sense of values that they see exhibited by uh, political parties, candidates, uh, or even just you know, general political movements in the, the sort of the discourse around politics that they see when they see their values uh, exhibited or they hear their values um, repeated by certain groups of people, that tends to be, I think, what drives people the most towards their particular political affiliation. I, I don't think it is usually a hyper-calculated sense of exactly what's going to benefit me. That may be true on a handful of particular issues where there's a direct 
visible correlation between what uh, you know policy is going to be put in place and how that's going to impact my life. But I think a lot of it is values driven and where do I see my values represented in the political sphere? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I do think that that comes into play a lot. What, what I find interesting though, is that a lot of times it seems to me like the, my values piece really ends up landing on what's better for my life. What helps me to sleep better at night? Uh, what's going to make me feel like I've taken the right position and therefore I have less tension within my own self about what I think we should and should not do. Uh, I think that we all, you know, I say we all, many people want to move to resolve internal tension. And even when they come into political conversations. I think, at least in my experience, I've found that that to be true. Kim, I'd, I'd love to come back to you because we find ourselves in a, in a time where tension, as I just mentioned, is it's, it's growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. It feels exponential. And what that does is a couple of things. Of course, it can, I can highlight uh, real issues that need to be addressed, um, but it can also make it far more, exponentially more difficult to have meaningful conversations with people uh, than perhaps even it was four years ago. You did some phenomenal training for our leadership team and our discussion leaders on sort of how to navigate the landscape of having difficult conversations. I wonder if you just take, you know, the next five minutes or so and talk us through what you feel like are some really, really important things to keep in mind when we get into these difficult conversations in order to make sure that they're actually building conversations, they're relational building conversations, not relationally tearing down conversations, and that they may actually be productive. I think it would be really helpful for us to have some better tools on how to do this in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me is I'm actually a certified mediator and facilitator. I got certified through the University of Texas and the techniques that I learned through getting certified as a mediator have come in super handy in terms of when you need to have difficult conversations with someone. Uh, One of the things that I do encourage people to do, and it's a little difficult, right, because we are in this particular pandemic, but I vehemently try to encourage as far as possible, if you can have a face-to-face conversation with the person, uh, and in this case, it might look like a FaceTime conversation or something over Zoom, you know, if you don't feel comfortable meeting actually in person. But I think that's very important because, we see a lot of very divisive conversations online. And the the hard thing about being behind a screen is you forget sometimes that you're talking to an actual person. The second thing that I do encourage people to do is if you're good, if you know that you're going to go into a difficult conversation, you know, and sometimes conversations can be sprung on you, but if you know that you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, I think, first of all, it's important to center yourself and figure out what, are the things that you believe and are there any particular things that trigger you personally, right? Um, And it may come from personal experiences and things like that. And the reason why I say that it's important to know that is because a lot of people, the way that they go into hard conversations is they're very reactive versus responsive. And what I mean by that is where conversations take a turn is, you know, it's this pretty destructive cycle of somebody hears something, they get riled up because it stirs up something in them. And then they say something that is more than speaking out of fear or hurt or anger. 
And then because they're coming at it kind of from a defensive posture that causes the other party to also take on a defensive posture. And once you get into those types of postures, people are no longer actually listening to one another, right? So self-awareness is a really big deal. Um, The second thing also that I would suggest is that if you're going to have a hard conversation, this is going to sound a little clinical, right? But it's a mediation technique is encouraging people to actually have a pen and paper in hand and take down some notes. Uh, What this practice is, is that as the other person talks, it one ensures that you're actually not going to jump in and cut off and interrupt them, but you're also actively listening and taking down notes and actually hearing what they say. And then when it's your turn to speak, you can actually look at what you've written down and respond. The other thing also that I encourage people to do if you're having hard conversations is as far as possible, try to come from a place of seeking to understand. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to have to agree with what the other party is saying, but if you start from a place of really seeking to understand, which means uh, asking clarifying questions, you know, saying, I don't exactly understand this particular point. Would you be willing to explain this to me? Um, repeating back. So can I uh, ask that when you said this and this, is this what you meant, right? Thanking them for being able, being willing to explain to you, acknowledging, hey, I, okay, I see this is, seems like this is the area that you're coming from, and then sharing kind of your perspective. And then also having I I assume that if you're having a hard conversation, the goal in mind would be also to see how there are maybe points of commonality where you and the other person can come together and see how you can move forward. And moving forward, again, doesn't mean that you solve all your issues and your disagreements, but is there a step forward that you can take in at least seeing that this other person has their own experiences, has their own opinions, um, and that you're seeking to honor the other person um, and at least have a conversation where it's not a lot of, uh, you know, uh, slinging like insults at one another and things like that. Right. So, and again, this is very high level. Um, We're not asking people to, to serve as their own mediators for all conversations, but I do think that starting from a place of trying to understand or at least get better clarification on what the other person is saying is a good place to start because it at least puts the other person at ease in that if the, if people feel like they're seen and they feel like they're heard, it in turn helps them to kind of lower their defenses and then actually makes them more receptive to what you have to say. And of course, other things come into play, such as, you know, trying to keep a neutral tone trying to stay calm, right? And remember that everyone that you're talking to is a person. Um, So those are just some of the things that I typically recommend when somebody has asked me, like, how do I have a difficult conversation with someone? Thank you so much for sharing that. That is all so, so helpful. And of course, again, like part of the goal of TGA is to help equip people to have better conversations. And so if you have not come, when you do come, you're going to get things just like that. Um, so there's the interactive piece. There's the how do we approach talking with other people about this. But then there's also like the thinking piece, like the internal processing piece of political conversations. Joshua, I want to come back to you and and maybe ask you, as you sit down and just to think, 
think. And of course, you're you're a thinker, and I and I love hearing your thoughts. So I'd, I'd love to just hear from you, man. When when you start to think about political ideas and political perspectives, what would you suggest or maybe the three best things to think about or the three primary filters that you go into when trying to make some determinations about your own political perspectives? Yeah, so I think probably the three big filters that I would uh, recommend anybody try to apply when evaluating particular political positions is one, a, a biblical filter. Now, I realize right away that's kind of a challenge because the Bible doesn't specifically tell us a lot of things when it comes to the, the options that we have for politicians and for, for various policies. But it does give us a couple of sort of big um, hooks to hang our hat on, so to speak. Uh, so one is the principle of the Imago Dei, that we are all created in the image of God and that we all, as uh, his creatures, have human dignity and human worth. And so when looking at any any position, and even uh, particular candidates, uh, do they seem to uphold and value uh, the value and the dignity of human life that God has created and, and has called good? And the second is is related to that that word good. The Bible does give us some sense of what God calls good. And so being able to look at what is being recommended and to say, does this line up with a with the character of God and with a biblical sense of what is good. The second filter I would say is a historical filter. So obviously some things are you know new territory, but but a lot of positions have sort of a historical trail. They have a historical legacy of the impact that they have had. So anytime you're you're being asked to or you are thinking about a particular position or a particular policy, being able to look at what what is the historical impact of that been? Uh, is this something that uh, I'm compelled to support because it is just what my party has always supported or it's what I've always sort of felt committed to and invested in without looking at what is the historical impact of, of that approach? And the third filter I'd say is relational. You know, we, we are a body for a reason and we don't individually have a full picture of, of everything. And so there are a lot of people who love Jesus who probably disagree with you about a lot of things. And so being able to, and this is one of the things that's just great about TGA is providing a structure for this, is finding people who love Jesus, who have a different point of view than you and asking them to really give you their honest take about why they think the way that they do. And, and alongside that, you know, they're, on virtually anything. People have written books and articles and, and all sorts of resources diving deeper into those things. And so I would, and it's not, it's not easy for everyone necessarily, but I would really recommend if, if an issue is on your heart and you're really trying to consider what to think about that, seek out what other people have said and thought and, and written about that particular policy or that particular position. Those are some really, really great tips. Um, I appreciate that very much. I, I'd, I'd like to now, before we wrap up, we had a had a question in our event that we asked people at our table, and I'd kind of like to just ask the two of you, and I'll be willing to answer it myself. But uh, Kimberly, I'll come to come back to you first with this one. And this was the question: When was the last time that you were persuaded to change your political opinion or stance? Like, what happened? What prompted you to shift? that perspective. Yeah. So the biggest thing I have probably changed my stance on is the issue of gun control. 
And I'll preface this by saying I've had a pretty interesting career history. Uh, I jokingly say my career history has looked like God guns and the internet. <laughs> I was in full-time college ministry for about nine years and before going corporate. And interestingly enough, straight out of ministry, the first job I was recruited to was to become the head of marketing for a high-tech weapons company, um, which is not the typical thing that campus ministers go do. Uh, after ministry. And I, I now work in tech. But when I ended up working for this gun company and actually going into the gun industry, at the time when I went in, I was probably not hugely in favor of gun ownership, partly because in Singapore, guns are banned. We Nobody owns guns. It's a very safe country. you know. Um, so I didn't grow up around guns. Right. And they seemed like a very scary, um, lethal weapon. And then I go into this company and it was actually very interesting because when I when I joined one of the execs, I think he was the chief technology officer, looked at me and said, so how do you feel about entering the world of rich white Republicans? And I said, OK, you know, sure. Sounds good. Um, but along with that, I actually got to work alongside a lot of ex-military guys. And one of the people that I became pretty good friends with at the company was actually our weapons design engineer, who was a longtime army veteran. I mean, had done multiple tours, uh, fought in a lot of wars, and he actually taught me about gun design. And so I would spend a lot of time in the engineering lab learning about the guns that we were designing. I spent a good amount of time on the gun ranges, uh, learning how to shoot, learning about the different types of things. And in spending time with them, getting to learn about their experiences on the field, um, and actually just becoming more comfortable around guns, I actually realized that over the course of time, I actually probably became more pro-Second Amendment than I ever thought I would. I'm not saying that I think everyone should own a gun, right? Uh, I think that obviously there needs to still be uh, uh, laws or policies in place to make sure that if you are going to own a gun, that you're going to be responsible for it. But I will say that I'm probably now more in favor of it than I used to be. And that was actually pretty surprising because that was an issue that I never actually really thought that I would change my opinion on. Um, and, and then along the way, actually came to realize that I had a lot more friends who were concealed carry than I realized. Um, and which, you know, I should have clued into that, right? Because we're in Texas and Texas are you know, just it's it's a state where people like their guns, right? Um, but I, I will say that that was probably the biggest thing that I have changed my opinion on. And I'm glad I did. You know, I'm glad that I actually had that experience, was able to be in the industry, meet a lot of people who are actually experts on this particular subject. And it allowed me to have what I feel was like a better understanding as a whole. Um and uh, not be so fearful 
of it as well. So I'm, I'm, that's something I'm actually really glad I changed my opinion on. That's a really fascinating story. I remember um, having lunch with you a number of years ago and uh, it was just unexpected when you told me what you were doing for a living then. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, it wasn't like shocking, but I was like, that's interesting. That's not what I thought she was about to say. So, um, <laughs> yeah, people were very surprised when I, when I got the job, you know, I, I will say that it is very male dominated. So seeing like, a little Asian girl at, uh, you know, gun trade shows showing off like these highly expensive semi-automatic rifles is not what most people expected. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Like now, even in my current company, there are guys that like to talk to me sometimes because they're hunters and they're like, oh, Kim actually knows a little bit about scopes and ballistics. And I, I am still, I'm no expert, but I, I, you know, if you want to talk to me about guns, I can be like, yes, I appreciate a well-designed weapon. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing that. How about you, Josh? What's, uh, what's, when's the last time that, that you were persuaded to change your political opinion about something and what caused that to happen? Probably the issue that stands out the most to me is, uh, that, that I changed my position uh, around drug legalization. And I think for a long time, I sort of reflexively took sort of a conservative position on that, uh, which was easy because not a drug user, and I thought, you know, like this is something that's worth worth keeping uh, off the streets, worth keeping uh, illegal, and 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 not legitimizing it. Um, but the uh, sort of over a process of just hearing different people say things that I hadn't heard before, and saying things that I wasn't sure what to think about, led me down a path of of study and of research and of more conversations. And I eventually landed in a place, not where I'm necessarily wanting people to be able to buy heroin over the counter per se, but realizing that back to that point about upholding human dignity, that drug criminalization was not something that needed to be enforced uh, at the barrel of a gun. Um, and I, th- I, I think that, um, there's still, I think there's still some areas with that sort of, with that policy. I don't, that I don't have a super firm um, stance on that. There's some, some gray areas, so to speak, but, but my overall disposition towards how substances are controlled and how substances are legalized um, and how, what, what our policy towards those should be uh, changed pretty dramatically over the course of uh, a couple of years. Thanks for sharing that. And as promised, I'll share, I'll share one of mine and, and I've, I've, I have changed, you know, quite a number of political positions over the years. Most of that has come through hearing from other people, trying to practice some of what Kim talked about and put that into place and, and to really let other people's experience carry some weight with me. It's not, not that every decision I make would be made based upon someone else's opinion or perspective or experience, but, but to let those people have a, have a seat at the table with my in my mind, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that I allow other people's perspectives to, to be something that I really give thought and consideration to. And so with that in mind, one area that for sure has changed for me is in relationship to things like immigration and how, how we sort of think about people coming here from other countries. So I, I will have to admit that for a long time, 
period in my life, I really didn't give a lot of thought to that. I mean, I knew some immigrants. I had some relationships with people who had immigrated here, um, both through the legal processes and through other ways. But I had not really given it a lot of thought. And I definitely was like, on the the law and order side of things and well you know do it the right way and you're good and do it the wrong way and you're not and it was real like just black and white for me real binary but but I hadn't given it a lot of thought and what really you know began to cause me to to think differently and 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 even just to approach the topic differently um was you know coming across and learning about friends uh people who are friends people who i love and care about that were uh benefiting from the daca provision and you know that that in a sense they came here not through the front door but not by their own you know, volition either. And now we're sort of facing this uncertainty after being pretty fairly Americanized and going through American schools and now working in jobs and paying taxes and, uh, you know, sort of being fully integrated, if you will, in, in, in into our country. And then facing the prospect of having to go somewhere that they are not familiar with, actually, where they, they don't actually know what they would do when they got there or what life would be like. All of their friends and family and spiritual family and support system is predominantly here. And when I heard about that, and I really started thinking, like, oh, I didn't realize that that could actually happen to you, that you could be, you know, through the stroke of a pen, sort of sent back to where you came from when you were two. And in some cases, like people here don't even speak the language of the place where they would go back to. And the disruption that that would, would create really almost was like shocking to me when I first heard about it and, and, and actually understood it. And that was an eye opening moment for me because it caused me to think, man, what other things am I just walking in blind ignorance to? Like, do I not even understand or grasp, uh, that I have an opinion about? And so I, I've definitely have become less opinionated about, uh, politics and policies. And to your point, Joshua, I'm not a policy expert, so I probably need some people. Uh, I need to go and seek out people who are to help explain to me uh, what certain policies do and what the implications of them are, and then uh, and kind of process from there. But but definitely in hearing from you know firsthand people who I love, understanding the situations that they found themselves in, uh, caused me to begin to rethink the way that I looked at immigration. And and I'm not just talking about a change in perspective for that specific specific person in that kind of situation, but in, in the way that we look at immigration as a whole. And I just found actually a lot of compassion lacking in my own perspective, in my own view around how I was approaching that particular subject. And so uh, I also, it caused me to really reframe like my loyalties, like where are my, where are my loyalties? You know, uh, Paul tells us over and over and over again um, that we are citizens of a different place. Uh, and so, you know, Joshua, you know, you and I were born here. So we were born American citizens, Kimberly, Singaporean. You know, now you're here. You talked about being bicontinental, which is a fantastic term. Um, and, and I'm sure that actually the more people move around, probably the easier the concept is to understand like, ah, I'm really, I'm not a citizen of this place. I'm a citizen of another place. And for us as Christians, really, as Paul tells us, our citizenship is in heaven. And so when I started to think about immigration, less as a citizen of the United States of America, 
and more as a citizen of heaven. And then I start to look at brothers and sisters in Christ, for example, who maybe are not citizens here in America, but are trying to escape some horrible situation that the place they're coming from sort of imposed upon them. All of a sudden, my loyalties begin to shift. And it's like, am I going to be more loyal to the border of my man-made country or am I be more loyal to my eternal family, brothers and sisters? Now, obviously, we can extend that compassion even outside the family of faith. But but I, w- I would say that for me, really considering that, like, am I more loyal to my country of origin than I am to other fellow believers? That was a real pivotal moment for me when I went, ah, I've been more loyal to a country than to a people who are actually citizens of the same place that I am uh, in God, in heaven, in, in the body of Christ. And so many things about the way that I view the, 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 the political idea of immigration have shifted and changed. And I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about some of the nuances and where specifically I've changed my opinion and where I'm still thinking about it. Um, but, but that big bucket right there is a big one for me, certainly not the only one. Uh, but, but in all fairness to Joshua and Kimberly, I wanted to also share uh, some, something there. So, and I think you know, I'd like to kind of begin to draw this podcast down. Uh, and we heard a bit about this on Friday night. Renee Vigorito, she brought a great teaching, sort of a sermonette, if you will, uh, out of Luke chapter 10 on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And she really broke down for us the concept and idea of compassion. And I'm not going to even attempt to try to do what she did on Friday night here on this podcast. But but I, I would say that uh, to, to really to answer another question that I asked you, Josh, about, you know, filters for politics and for policy. Um, for me, I think this idea of compassion has to be in the mix um, in, in how we approach those things as Christians, as believers and followers of Jesus. Um, and and when we come to an idea, to pull it down from just where it sits again in like this ethereal ideation space and into reality and then apply compassion, like how does this thing actually affect other people? people's lives. Let me go hear about that. Let me have compassion for how this this idea, this bright idea that someone's putting into a bill, how is this going to actually impact the real lives of other people? I think as Christians, if we could just even start there maybe and, and look at how is this thing going to impact the lives of other people and, 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 and allow the Spirit of God to let compassion rise up within us. I mean, after all, we should probably be prayerfully considering all of these things as well. God, what do you think about these things? What does your heartbeat say about this and that? Um, and, and allow a compassionate spirit from the Holy Spirit to rise up within us as we consider uh, political conversations, political ideas, political principles, political policies, and and ultimately even where we have to cast our vote into a very... into a very muddy, as Josh put it, uh, binary system where there doesn't seem to be like any perfect person. There's definitely no perfect party. There's no perfect policy. And we really need wisdom. A lot of times these things aren't even right and wrong questions, but they're wisdom questions. What, What does spiritual wisdom say about 
X? What does spiritual wisdom say about Y? What does spiritual wisdom say about this person's policies and this person's policies and this person's moral character and this person's trustworthiness? And where is spiritual wisdom in all of that? So I guess um, I want to thank both of you for coming on today's podcast. There's definitely some great things to think about that both of you have brought to the table. Um, And I hope that all of us can like agree as Christians that whatever we do, we're going to prayerfully consider and we're going to apply compassion into how we think, talk, and act out our political beliefs. Kimberly and Josh, I just want to give both of you an opportunity to have a final word. I'll go back to Kim first. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up today's podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really love the fact that our recent TGA event was focused on biblical compassion, particularly as it relates to just this whole conversation about politics. I feel like people sometimes can get so passionate about the issues they forget they're dealing with people, right? Um, I'm kind of a word nerd, so I looked up the definition of compassion. And, you know, in the dictionary, it says sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. I think biblical compassion looks a little different. I'm not a fan of pity. I don't think anyone wants to be pitied. And so when I actually think about biblical compassion, uh, what's interesting to me is that, you know, it comes from the Latin word compati, which means suffer with. And so for me, when I think about biblical compassion, it means not just to empathize with someone who is suffering, um, but where it goes deeper than that, where we, you know, somebody else's heartbreak becomes our heartbreak. And in, in, in recognizing that we as Christians, therefore, want to see what we can do to reduce the other person's suffering, right? And my hope is that if we can, as followers of Jesus, look at the person in front of us, and even if they disagree with us, go, man, this is a person that has hurts and fears that they are grappling with, right? Because the reality is, even with our closest friends and family, we still don't always know what they're going through. And I think that if we can try to have that perspective when we meet and talk with people, that everyone is fighting a battle that we know nothing about, and coming at, from, coming at it from that perspective where we can look at them and go, is there anything I can do even in this conversation that can help alleviate some of the suffering that they're feeling? I think that's a really good place to start, right? Um, it won't solve the world's problems overnight. But I think if we're able to just see people first as people, right, and then kind of the ta- tackle the issues secondarily, I think we could make a big difference. And so that's my hope for the church as a whole and my hope going into this whole political season that we would have compassion for one another, that we would recognize that this these are hard conversations and they're hard topics. Um, but nobody is actually really an enemy, you know, like God loves us all. God has hopes and dreams for all of us. And I hope that the church would be able to come alongside and walk with people and serve them well. I love that. Josh, any uh, any final thoughts from you on the subject before we conclude today? Yeah, well, I love what Kim said about that. The There, there really is a, a deep need for us to be able to enter into political conversations with anyone, but especially with one another as the body of Christ from a place of compassion and, and suffering alongside one another. The only thing I would add to that is uh, just 
realizing how not just polarized, but how fractured all of us are with the various, you know, sort of choose your own adventure sources of information that we have at our disposal that we can take in, uh, that that makes something like TGA all the more important because it allows us to sit at a table with other followers of Jesus and to really understand the heart behind what they are thinking and what they are feeling and not just attribute to people the the phrases and the labels and the things that we come across on um, on Twitter and on in the news media, et cetera. I think a lot of times it, it can be hard to separate what we hear in all the noise and not attribute all of that to our brother and sister in Christ who happens to fall under a certain label or happens to use a particular phrase and not inject all of that into them. Rather, we can sit across the table from them and say, hey, tell me your heart behind this. You think this, I really want to hear. And that, that I think, is, is just immensely valuable in being able to cultivate that compassion for one another. I love that. Well, thank you all both for being on the podcast today. It's been really enjoyable to get to see you. Of course, people listening can't see you, but I can see you. Uh, it's been great to see you and to talk with you and to hear your heart and to, to kind of recap the event that we had Friday night together. If you've never participated in a TGA or a Gospel Inn, the Gospel Inn, then I encourage you to keep an eye out for our next event. It should be happening in November, probably post-election, and we will really look forward to ha- continuing this conversation around politics and biblical compassion and how we can grow together instead of further apart. Uh, Kimberly, Josh, thanks so much for joining us on Tuesdays or for talking. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.